0: Hello and welcome to BB On The Record, this podcast from British Bandsmen. I'm Mark Good, editor of British Bandsmen, and in this episode I chat to Jonathan Bates, principal horn of Foden's band and a member of the A4 Brass Quartet. Johnny discusses the quartet's second studio album, Mosaic, which is out now, and looks back on the ensembles humble beginnings which came when the players were all first-year students at the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester. Johnny also discusses his own musical journey, from growing up in a banding family to hitting the slow melody circuit and catching the banding bug. He reflects on his successes to date and lifts the lead on a busy schedule crammed with playing, conducting and composing. But first, Johnny describes what it feels like to gradually be getting back to in-person music making.
1: Well, I've got to say it's uh, it's very different, but it's a, a welcome return. I think I can probably speak on behalf of most brass banders who've taken part over the last 18 months or so in these online virtual projects, which have been fantastic to do and really good fun, and something a bit new for us in the brass band movement. But ultimately, um, when you get back into band room and you play at what we would call brass band dynamics, uh, it certainly takes a few weeks to get back used to the stamina element, but it, it's just so good to be able to see folk again and uh, make music together.
0: We don't want to dwell too much on those past 18 months or so. It was a really challenging period, of course. But you were involved quite heavily with some of those digital and distance banding projects. Did you feel that you learned a lot out of the process?
1: Oh, massively, yeah. I mean, I would never have dreamt in a million years when uh, everything kind of shut down last March that I'd actually be downloading video software, like quite, quite high level professional software and actually getting used to using it and being able to churn out videos in like a day. I'd, I'd never even think about to do that and do all the sound engineering stuff. So I've learned a lot of new skills. And again, that, that'll be the same for so many people who would never have considered using um, like Reaper or Adobe Premiere Pro, but they've now got these tools and these that way that way, we can probably use it for future online content for the bands. And it's, um, and I know there's very little positive we can take out of the last 18 months, but if there's anything we can do, I think um, certainly the, the online and technological skills a lot of brass bands have developed is going to be helpful going forward.
0: Well, let's turn our attention then to this new release from the A4 Brass Quartet, of which you are a part, of course, Johnny, along with Jamie Smith, Mike Cavanaugh and Chris Robertson. The album is entitled Mosaic and it's made on the Somme Recordings label. It's an eclectic mix of rep with composers like Bruckner, Bernstein, Bartók and Bramwell Tovey among those featured. How did you come to choose what would feature on the album?
1: Well, I think a lot of it actually came down to what we recorded in our first album, which was Mists of the Mountains, um, about three or four years ago, because <clears throat> we wanted to kind of set out that... We are a brass band ensemble made up of brass band players, but we don't want to tie ourselves down to the stereotype which is associated in the wider classical world, which is often quite wrong, in fact. But, uh, you know, if you're going to kind of pitch yourself into a new market, you have to kind of go go along certain hoops. So our first album was entirely new commissions. The whole thing was um, quite substantial works, so was a lot of competition by people like Thomas Doss. Um, Tom Harrell, various composers from outside the brass band movement as well. So it's quite a, a heavy album as as far as we we're concerned. But when you actually come to watch A4 in a concert, we, we obviously feature a couple of the larger works. And there's, there's a couple of larger works on this album. You, you referenced Bramal Tovey's Street Songs there um, and Daniel Hall's Black Dog So there are, there are bigger works in our concerts. But generally speaking, we we do present something to try and tick every box, you've got classical music, you've got new music. We want to we give them people something they've heard before, but also introduce them to something brand new, which they might not have recognised, but would hopefully want to go away and listen to again. So that's what this album was really. We've, it's, it's a response to our first album, which we're really, really proud of as, as a disc. Um, but this is more as opposite to that as you can. This is definitely more a selection of what you would hear in our concerts. And there's a track on the Japanese track called Sunangari, which is actually one of the first pieces of music we ever played as a quartet, and every single concert we go to, no one in the audience has ever heard it, but we always come up at the interval and say, oh, I really love that Japanese piece, and we thought, we need to record this. Um, so we, we got in touch with Kentaro, and he's, he's been fantastic, the, the composer of it. We arranged it, and um, yeah, so basically a lot of the tracks on here are what the audience have said to us at our intervals. Oh, have you got a recording of this, or is this available we thought, Well, actually, it's not but we're gonna put it on our next CD.
0: How has production of the album been affected by the pandemic? Am I right in thinking that the recording was actually done in 2019?
1: Yeah, so we we recorded a lot of it um, in summer two years ago, over two years ago now, which is terrifying, really. But in terms of production, yeah, it it started to slow off. I mean, we, we, we did our first recording on World of Brass, with, with Adam and Goldsmithy, The Messer Mountains, anyone who's worked with Adam knows how much of an absolute consummate professional he is, he's, he's outstanding, so we wanted to use him again, we, we, we were absolutely set, we wanted to work with Adam again because he was so good on the first album and we're, we're incredibly happy with the product we've got this time around too, um, but in terms of trying to get ourselves out of the only kind of circles of brass band circles to try and promote ourselves as a group elsewhere so other people come into it. We needed to try and find a record label and we we have a kind of agency in London called the City Music Foundation who were working hard behind the scenes trying to find us an appropriate label and that took a while because there's very few of these classic record labels, you know, your Chandos, your, your Decca, some, for example, who were willing to take a punt on four instruments most of their audience probably never heard of um, in, in all due respect. So we it took a while but we ended up getting... Uh, contacted through some recordings who were willing who heard the track heard the album and thought yeah we we've got a market for this so that took a while that took probably until around March and then obviously the pandemic hit so it became where you'd normally have meetings and things would go through and if a few months. people working from home people were working away they, they weren't necessarily staffed so it took quite a long time to actually get the process through we end up having to actually record another track uh, another quite large work which which kind of came onto to the onto the album quite late. We actually recorded that during the pandemic or social distance at the Royal Northern. So actually one of the tracks was recorded uh, last summer, I believe, last July. So it, it it did take a while, but uh, we got there. I mean, we didn't want to rush it through. We wanted to make sure we got everything in place. We wanted to make sure it ticked the boxes what they wanted and made, made sure it ticked the boxes we wanted. Uh, and ultimately we're, we're happy with what's come out in the end.
0: Much of the music has either been arranged by yourself or Chris. And looking at the lineup, as you said yourself, it's not necessarily a conventional quartet comprising cornet or flugel, tenor horn, baritone and euphonium. Rewinding a little bit to the early stages of coming together as an ensemble, did you just say to each other, look, we want to do this, we're just going to make it work, we're going to compose and arrange to suit ourselves?
1: Um, well, actually, if you go back right to the very start, um, the reason we actually got together as a group was complete accident—or well, I'll say accident, just laziness. I mean, chamber music is compulsory at the Royal Northern, and we were in our first year together. And being the stereotypical brass banders, we just left it to the last minute. And we realised, oh, we've got a chamber music assessment in two weeks. We need to um, we need to get a group. So should we just get together? I'd arranged a couple of trombone quartets, which I thought, well, it, it can kind of work. I'll just rescore it a little bit. Um, and then we ended up playing it and then yeah, we passed the Chamber of Music Ensemble, won the Philip Jones Brass prize, won the overall RMCM Ensemble of the Year prize, just by complete fluke. But we, we needed music because I mean, a lot of the stuff, um, a lot of the competitions you needed to play original work. So, um, uh, I was, I was doing a lot of arranging and composing at the time and Chris wanted to to kind of try his hand and get into it and ever since then he's he's got the bug for arranging and started doing loads and loads of tracks as well so we found after about a year we had myself and chris doing the majority of the input musically um for the group but i'd say with the very first album which i referenced we kind of thought well we want to expand and not just rely on myself and chris to to do the arrangements and we started commissioning external works which is how that all started so yeah, I mean, we still do. We it's just so easy when you've got two people in the group who have um, skills in arranging. If you hear a piece of music you like and think this should work well, well, you can just arrange it and you can you can then find you're playing it at the next concert in two weeks. So it, it does it is a massive benefit to a group to have have in-house people who work in in composing and arranging. I've got to say, yeah.
0: You touched upon some of your successes there. You've enjoyed so much success with the quartet and you were the first ensemble to be awarded Associate Membership of the Royal Northern College of Music. You've performed on national TV and radio, the first Brass Ensemble to win the Royal Philharmonic Society, Henderson Chamber Ensemble Award. There's been success in the Royal Overseas League Chamber Music Contest and all sorts of other projects and schemes in which you've been involved as well. Is this how you envisioned the quartet developing when you were all sat there back in first year thinking, "Uh uh-oh, we need to do some uh, some chamber music. No, (laughs) it's the best
1: answer. Uh, we, we, we probably thought it was going to be a three-week project where we'd do the chamber ensemble and uh, the chamber assessment and then give up and just go back to playing in our bands because we were all pretty busy anyway. Um, but we just, we thought, well, let's, we enjoyed it. Let's enter this competition and we won it. And then we thought, oh, that's good. Well, we have to enter this final now and we won it. And we thought, oh, we must be doing something right. So let's try this. And then we kept, for years and years, we just, just everything just worked. Every, every scheme we went for, every competition we went for, we ended up winning and they just thought, well, this is, this is something really. Really good i mean we're going into you know compete against string quartets and piano duos and people who as i say i mean i remember our first concert at wigmore hall um i still remember speaking to someone in the bar after and saying oh, i've never heard of a baritone in Horn before I'm like well this is the world we're going into It's it it's kind of a novelty for the traditional classical audience but we don't see it as a novelty we just see it as something different and unique and that's always i think been what's carried us through as a group it's been it's been not people not knowing what to expect at all. I mean, we we sat in a few chamber music assessments and the panel you could hear saying under breath, oh, a brass quintet playing fanfare, that's new. So we don't do that. We we do do absolutely everything what's not expected of a brass group. And I think that's what's carried us through. It's made the brass chamber scene completely more diverse and a lot more interesting from an audience perspective.
0: When you found yourself performing out with the strict brass band musical world, as it were, did you feel that you perhaps had to work a little bit harder to get the audience on board? I mean, we
1: we go to a brass band audience and we play probably about seven or eight pieces a half. Most string quartets, I mean, that's a massive generalisation, I know, but a lot of classical music concerts, whether it's orchestras or chain music, will play two or three major 20 minute, 25 minute long works, and that's your half, and then you go to the bar. So if you don't like it, you're stuck with it for 25 minutes. So that's one thing we've taken. And comparing is another thing. I mean, I, I still remember one of the first times we went down to London. We said, oh, whatever you do, don't compare. Just didn't, just have program notes. I'm like, why? We want to break down the barrier. And the amount of times we have audience members come and saying, it was so great to get to know your personality. And that that, and the programming is something we've all taken from the Brass Band world over with us. So then when we do concerts to a Brass Band audience, they're like watching a Brass Band concert. You get to someone speaks in between each piece and has a laugh and breaks down that barrier between audience and performer. You've got a lot of short pieces, a couple of longer pieces. It's very much like a brass band concert program, but not necessarily with a repertoire in it that you would expect from a brass band concert. So we are basically like a hybrid where we're trying to introduce actually what our movement does as brass banders into the classical scene, because they'll say, they might. We just hope that we'll have some people who've never wanted to listen to a brass band audience because they think, oh, they only play at Christmas or do marches and hymn tunes. I might think, oh, those people play playing a brass band. I might go and watch a concert and then think, oh, actually, brass bands aren't what our stereotype is. They're actually a lot more enjoyable to watch. So we're kind of like trying to see ourselves as missionaries for the brass band movement to try and show other people what we actually do rather than what they think we do.
0: The quartet has these really strong ties with the Royal Northern College of Music. We chatted about the associate membership and you also completed the prestigious International Artist Diploma in Chamber Music at the RNCM. How important has that connection with the college been in the group's development?
1: It's been absolutely pivotal. We we wouldn't have been able to do any of the stuff we have without it. I mean, i say both of our albums were recorded there. Uh, the support and guidance we had from so many tutors. I mean, we started off with, with people like Stephen Mead and David Thornton, um, but then working with non-brass players, Jeremy Young and Rob Buckland. and um, So we're getting such a wide angle because, I mean, ultimately, I mean, if you look at the group, I mean, you've got Principal Cornet Flowers, Principal Cornet Fodens, Principal Ten Hornet. Uh, Sorry, Principal Tenhorn at Phones, Principal Baritone at Black Dyke, Principal U-Phones at Brighouse and Rastrick. So in terms of the actual playing side of it, you know, we we get a fantastic experience with our bands. So the college thought, well, actually, what we need to do is, you know, you can play a brass instrument. So let's get somebody who's not a brasser in to say, well, here's what we don't like. uh, And here's what you need to improve from a wider perspective rather than just a brass perspective. So the opportunities and the guidance they gave us were, I'd say, absolutely pivotal. And since we technically left the college about five years ago, which is terrible. (laughs) Just <laughs> times, times flown, um, but we obviously we I say we've done the international Arts diploma using the, the facilities we've done a lot of work with them cha- uh, coaching chamber ensembles and certainly once they go back to in-person teaching from September we hope we're going to be involved with a lot more kind of trying to promote the next generation I mean it's, it's very nice to see when we speak to people who are currently at the college um, they're always saying oh our chamber music teacher is always talking about you because you know they said this, this is a brass group but they did something different and you know where we've kind of seen now as the role models of don't just go into the library and get out something which everyone's played, do your own stuff because it can work um, so yeah we, we're incredibly be grateful for the support we had and we, we definitely wouldn't be anywhere near where we've where we are and where we're going without the RNCM support
0: well before we go any further we really must listen to a piece from this new album so Johnny tell me about the piece we're about to hear now
1: so we're about to listen to an arrangement of Candide Overture by Leonard Bernstein again this was actually uh, arranged by one of our friends at the Royal Melbourne, Dan Thomas who plays next to Chris at Briggs and Rastrick on Euphonium uh, and those of you who know the original Bernstein work know it's all colours and it's a huge orchestration so it's certainly a demanding work for just four of us to pull off but we're really happy for the arrangement and it's certainly one which has gone down well with our audiences. <laughs>
0: The sound of the A4 Brass Quartet, comprising Jamie Smith, Mike Cavanagh, Chris Robertson and my guest today, Johnny Bates. The ensemble performed music by Leonard Bernstein, who would have recently turned 103 if he was still around. That was the overture to his Operetta Candide. That's one track from the new album by the A4 Brass Quartet entitled Mosaic, on sale now at a4brassquartet.co.uk. Let's rewind, Johnny, back to your brass playing roots. How did it all begin for you?
1: I mean, for me, actually, I come from a quite a brass banding family. Both my parents play. Uh, my mum was a tenor horn player, and my dad was a percussionist. So I, I actually started on percussion um, with the Heyde Edge Junior Band back when I was about seven. But I was I was quite a hyperactive child. I was quite hard to control, and uh, I think I got to about eight, and I decided it'd be a good idea to put my head for a bass drum skin. So I, I I think we kind of thought it might be best to take him away from these quite large and kind of dangerous percussion instruments and give him something he can't stick his head through. So I picked up my mum's tenor horn, moved bands to to my local village band in Skelmorpatch, their their training band, and just loved it. And I, I, I my first teacher was, um, I'm sure someone people know from the old Grindthorpe days of a, a trombone player called Lawrence Mann, who was my original teacher for for many years. And I just caught the bug. I I started entering a lot of slow melody competitions. Really getting into music from such a young age, I think is very important. Rather than just playing the notes, actually getting into the words and stuff. And that that set me up really for life. So that's really how it started. Slow melody competitions, um, junior bands, happy accident, and then just gradually... Moving through the youth band system, I was a member of both Ellen Youth Band and the Sellers Youth Band before joining the Ellen Senior Band. And from then on, just my, my senior band career kind of just developed as, as you would expect it normally would um, quite rapidly through to Carlton, Maine back in 2009, which is 12 years ago. Um, But yeah, so that's how it all started, really.
0: In 2012, you became only the second tenor horn player to reach the televised category final of the BBC Young Musician of the Year. That followed two consecutive appearances in the final of what was then the BBC Radio 2 Young Brass Soloist in 2010 and 2011. How much did those experiences aid your progression and your development?
1: Well, we were just a catalyst. I would say. In all of the arrangements you tend to play up until a certain level, it's just calling it a euphonium. And I thought, well, I want to be the tenor horn player who kind of pushes the instrument forward and gets it into a solar sort of spotlight. I mean, I grew up listening to uh, Shona White's Voice of a Tenor Horn album and then the the numerous CDs Owen Farrell was putting out. And I thought, that's what I want to be like. So when I actually saw the tenor horn, you know, you can get to these finals, you can get on TV. I mean, like we were saying with Quartet, the, the BBC, obviously the Radio 2 Young Brass Solist is quite brass band orientated, but the Young Musician of the Year is, is far from it. So I just thought, well, actually, yeah, I can do this on 10 horn. I can. So I kept pushing and pushing and certainly gave a 10 horn a wider platform to be viewed as a soloistic instrument. And I hope that's being carried on. We've seen quite a few 10 horn players now come through into these competitions as well. But yeah, I mean, ultimately it, it, it was just a run on the ladder, which was, was very pleased to to be a part of but ultimately it was just just kind of pushing my drive to keep going forward and keep innovating
0: there were studies at Leeds College of Music and the Royal Northern College of Music and you have this such an impressive banding CV having performed with Black Dyke Grimthorpe Brickhouse and Rastrick Carlton Main as you mentioned and currently of course occupying the principal horn chair at Fodens how do you look back on some of those experiences with the different bands? Were they each very different in terms of their general character and their musical styles?
1: Hugely different. There's been no, no two bands who've been anywhere close to being the same, and I think that's kind of a refreshing change. I mean, I, I'm, I tend to like to stay at bands for quite a while, but every single band I left, um, I left because something else came up which would suit me better at a different band I enjoyed every single one there wasn't a single band I look back on and say I, I didn't enjoy my time and I wanted to get out or whatever every single one of those bands they're fabulous music organizations very great bunch of people and I really have the utmost respect for, for all of them um, but ultimately for example I look at Foden's um, at the moment then they're, they're not the busiest band but God for a good one. They're an incredibly high standard. Um, they're they're not out every week. For example, when I was with Black Dyke and Grime you know, you'd be out probably three out of four weekends, every weekend, up and down the country, which was brilliant fantastic audiences great concert programs uh really good fun but ultimately you know i i mean i, I kind of referenced it's scary that i was at carlton main 12 years ago You know, I've, I've, I've kind of been doing it even though i'm only 26 i feel like i've been doing it for like 50 years now <laughs> so comp- composing and conducting started to become more busy uh and i just simply couldn't offer the commitment to my own myself really I, you know i wouldn't be able to do the other things to the sort of standard I'd, I'd like to if I was out all that time so Foden's works great because they're I say they're, the standard is as we've, as people have heard on the contest scene before the pandemic they're they're an outstandingly good band fantastic people hard-working innovative but it also just gives you that space to also kind of nurture the other side of my music career now which is the composing and conducting side so
0: it's just a perfect band for me at the moment and uh, I'm really enjoying it. Having chatted to a couple of your colleagues at Foden's on the podcast in recent months, the vibe that I'm sort of getting is that they say the band strikes a balance between really high quality music making and having quite a tight knit family feel where people will tend to stay there for quite a while and become part of the fabric of the band. Is that your reading of the situation?
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, one of the things I would say when I was in Grimefort, Brighouse and Black Dyke is... I can't even think there was anyone, even thinking on the spot now, I don't think there was anyone in those bands at all who lived in the village. There was was no one in Queensbury, no one in Grindport, no one in in Brighouse. Uh, Whereas in Foden's, you've got probably about seven or eight who live in Sandbatch, and you've got um, quite a few who live within a 10-minute drive. I mean, I'm probably one of the furthest away, and I'm only a 45-minute drive each way. They do a lot of kind of local parades and uh, concerts in, in and around Sandbatch. Whereas you might see, for example, when I was at Black Dyke, we only played in Queensbury once a year, which was a Christmas concert. Um, so it's very, very rare that you have that. So again, it's a completely different element. But ultimately, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, you don't get to play for phones unless you're at the very, very top of your game. And their their pride is is their performance. It always has been. But uh, yeah, they're, they're certainly a lot more of a close-knit kind of family band. You look at people like John and, and Mark, you know, they've been in the band decades, and there's, there's, they're not the only ones. There's, there's people who've been there for... The, the, the people who've been there longer than I've been alive, which is, is quite uh, harrowing when you kind of realise that. But, you know, there's, there's even younger people you look at, Richard Poole on Soprano. I mean, he's, he's not massively older than me, but he's been in the band, I think, over a decade now. I mean, I've been there nearly five years. Um, it's the second longest I've been in any band, so it's it's certainly one where you don't feel there's a, a massive turnover of players, but they always manage to keep the standard high. I think a lot of that's down to Mike Fowles in the middle's uh, dedication to his work as band training and um, really making sure the standards are always at the very top of the game and not letting any kind of slack kind of start to form.
0: Well, that brings me to my next question, which was relating to some of the conductors that you've worked with when you've played for some of those bands down the years. Is there anyone you've really loved working with or do you take just a little bit, a little nugget from each of the conductors?
1: I think if you ask anyone who's sat in any of my rehearsals, Definitely, say I've taken nuggets from each. It's a bit, it's, it's kind of, there's certain aspects I've taken from everyone. So yeah, there's, there's certainly every conduct I've played under. There's, there's lots of stuff you can kind of take away and use into your own either playing or conducting career. But I mean, the, the one who really stands out for me, where I probably have the longest tenure with, was Bramwell Tovey, both through the National Youth Band and and then lastly into quite a lot of work with Foden's. Um, you know, we don't get people like that in the brass band scene we don't get people who've had the experience working with so many of the finest orchestras in the world who can bring that level of musicianship and experience into brass band and be able to kind of um, relate it and adjust it into how the brass band scene works um, he, he's a fascinating character, incredibly supportive of both my playing and, com- and composing career. He, he, he really gave me my first break as a composer on the National Eve Band back in 2012, when they, no, 2011, sorry, when they programmed a 16-minute, what I was classing as a GCSE competition, which I had him to look at just to see if there was any suggestions. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, we'll play it on the National Eve Band course, which was uh, just you know, that, that sets you up as a composer when you get that opportunity at such a young age. So, you, you know, you speak to anyone in the National Youth Band, I, I can guarantee if you speak to people like James Fountain, who just got the London Symphony Orchestra job, Josh Atina at the RPO, or if you look in banders like like Jamie and Mike in the quartet, I can guarantee you they'll all have Bramwell Tovey at the top of that list. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look in brass banding, I mean, I, I had a week working with Philip Harper on the Warburg Band, who just brings so much charisma and energy, and, you know, that... That tails off in, in a lot of the stuff you've been hearing from Corey. Russell, he's probably the one I use the most, actually. A lot of his methods um, in band training just lets the music flow, just let doesn't get in the way of the players Isn't too prescriptive. There's, there's been so many I've been lucky to play under. I've been really, really fortunate in that aspect. And, um, yeah, they, they've all had a huge impact on, on my career, both as a player and, and as a conductor.
0: And of course, two other sides of your musical life are your roles as a composer and conductor, both of which keep you extremely busy and both of which you've also enjoyed a great deal of success in. You were recently appointed to the MD's position at the City of Bradford Band. Congratulations. How are you going to fit it all in?
1: Uh, with great difficulty, but it's just worked out quite well. That um, obviously with the, with joining City of Bradford Brass Band, you uh, you take over the, the whole organisation. They're, they're a fantastic setup. They've got a championship section band, uh, a second section band, and the beginners band. Um, so they've got they've got a lot of ensembles there. So I, I look after City of Bradford and BD One, who are in the second section. So City of Bradford rehearsed Monday and Wednesdays, and BD One rehearsed Fridays. Foden's rehearsed Tuesday and Thursday. So it's it's every single night of the week. But I do get my weekends off, so it's pretty full on. But it's just good. I mean, as I say, you know, you City of Bradford, you're conducting a very high level band. They've been, you know, they qualified for Royal Albert Hall Nationals only in twenty seventeen. They've been in the top six at the Yorkshire area pretty much every year for the last three or four years. They're an outstanding ensemble. you get that buzz from from conducting such a high level. You then get to play at the high level. And then B D one is just fantastic. It's it's a really, really young band, but they're the absolute stars of the future. They're so hardworking uh, and committed. And it's a completely different experience, but you just get that bit of fun. you know. Um, I mean, I like to keep all the rehearsals I take fun, but it's just really good fun. They're, they're a really hardworking, I say, young, charismatic band. So every single ensemble I'm involved with, I I, I really enjoy. And it. it gives me something different to take back. So I never get stuck in a rut. In terms of composing, well, that's what the day for, isn't it? <laughs> You've got until seven o'clock at night to do that, uh, and then sometime between there, I, I try and sleep and eat and do do other stuff like that. But yeah, it's certainly Mondays and Fridays during the day I've got time to write. Um, and then Tuesday to Thursday, I'm teaching in primary schools around Cheshire, so it's busy. Um, it's certainly going to hit me in the face when I get back in schools next week. And it's like here's five nights a week and three days a week teaching. It's going to be it's going to be a challenge. But once I get back into it, yeah, I'll never
0: you know I'll never get bored. I'm sure you wouldn't have it any other way. Do you feel that at some stage the tenor horn might feature less in your musical life with the balance shifting towards more conducting and composing, or do you intend, certainly for now, to keep that multifaceted approach?
1: Certainly for now, I want to keep all going. Um, You know, Ten Horn's formed. It's been my life since I started in brass banding. You know, I've got no intention of going away from Fodans. I absolutely love it twice a week. All the concerts, all the people I enjoy being a part. Obviously, the quartet we've spoken about are doing fantastic things. Um, So I have absolutely no intention of letting the Ten Horn kind of, drop away. But ultimately, yeah, I just say, I mean, look at people, ex, examples like Paul of the Cooper is, is one of the fine examples, a, a fantastic percussionist, writer. He's also a conductor of Robert's Bakery Band. You know, he he kept plates spinning, kept three plates spinning, and then ultimately one of the plates, you know, as even professional plate spinners, one falls off at some point. Uh, and you just, I'm going to to see which one it is. It could be anything free. I I can't see for the next 60 years me being able to keep all three plates spending. It's just going to become too much mature. But whether the conducting work I get to enjoy less or the composing work gets to enjoy less or the ten horn I get to enjoy less. One eventually I, I can see going by the wayside. But I just don't know which one it's going to be that's going to depend on the amount of work which comes in it's going to depend on the amount of time it takes up uh, and ultimately yeah it's that's not something i can plan for that's just going to be something which takes a natural course at some point but when i become when it becomes a point that i can't keep to the standards i expect to myself on one or three then that's probably one of the times that i'll let that go
0: well finally johnny we're looking ahead hopefully to the return of major events over the coming months how are you feeling, some optimism as you look to the months ahead? I'm 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 certainly
1: optimistic about bands coming back. I really want this eighteen months to give us something as a movement to look forward. I mean, I'd I'd hate for the next forty years having to look back on it just being eighteen months where everything stopped and nothing happened and then we came back and carried on as we were. I think we we all know and we all looked before the pandemic that the brass band movement needed to do something different to attract new audiences, to attract new members, to stay relevant in the wider musical society. And I just really hope over the last 18 months, bands have been given the chance to see what can we do. We've got time off. What can we do? On organisations, people who pick test pieces, people who book halls, people who organise these major contests. What do we need to do to make this grow rather than shrink? And what I've seen post-pandemic and what we're being promised, and I, I do sadly see quite a lot of people just going back to how we were and trying to keep things as they were go back to the glory days of what we had before but they weren't really glory days you know we were lacking on young players coming through uh you know diverse backgrounds from uh, whether it's female whether it's ethnic minority we weren't attracting these people and it, it i do see when we're, we're not really changing so my, my my optimism is that there are people now in this movement who are very strongly uh, feel strongly and very passionate about making sure we do move forward there are more people than we ever had before the pandemic who we're trying to make sure that happens and my optimism is that they will be given the chance to to push our movement forward but then we need the people who don't to give them the opportunity to do so so I'm optimistic and pessimistic in equal values but I, I just hope that across the next 12 months we'll see a big shift in the brass band movement i get into the 21st century we've all got skills in technology and recording and video editing to make online presence better we've got some fantastic young composers and players and uh, people from all different backgrounds contributing to the movement and we just need to give them a platform rather than just saying here's what we've done for the last 40 years and it's worked for the last 40 years and we're going to stick with it so fingers crossed that in the next 12 months we're going to see a big change and the movement will start to become more appealing to people who aren't already in it
0: That's it for this episode of BB on the Record. Thanks to Jonathan Bates and thank you to you for listening. Mosaic, the latest studio album from the A4 Brass Quartet, is out now on the SOM Recordings label. To buy your copy, simply head to a4brassquartet.co.uk. Do get in touch about anything you might have heard on the podcast. You can email info at britishbandsman.com. You can enjoy a digital subscription to British Bandsman, it costs just £42.99 for one year. For the latest news, interviews and masterclasses from the stars make sure you don't miss out. Go to BritishBandsman.com and click on subscribe. As for this podcast, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. Or just ask your smart speaker to play the BB On The Record podcast. Please leave a review if you can, the more the merrier. Join me next time on BB On The Record. Bye for now.